This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and an organization called Disciple First hosted a track called Invest in a Few, How to Raise Up Reproducible Disciple Makers. So that's where the audio for today's episode was recorded. And I want to make sure that you go online and download a free ebook from their team called Invest in a Few, which is about practical ways to disciple people by investing in a few. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash disciple first. That's one word, just discipleship.org slash disciple first. And now for the track session. Let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Dr. Christopher Moody. I am the uh, lead pastor of a church in Texas, and I'm also a professor of systematic theology for Liberty University. Um, I do a lot of online teaching with Liberty. I do a lot of, I did some classes this summer with Liberty. So I'm a professor pastor. And one of the calls of my life is the creating of cultures of disciple making. And as a church Pastor, you are a cultural farmer, and one of the greatest cultures you farm is that of a discipling culture. The heart and the tools and the skills of carpenters, spiritual carpenters. And with that comes a unique twist on ministry that costs a lot. And so we're going we're gonna to talk today about what you could expect if you, on three levels, if you are looking to be a discipler, if you are looking to be, maybe you're at the front end, you're looking to be a disciple. You're, you're here from a church that sent you and you are not a disciple maker and you're recognizing after what, a day and a half that you need to be discipled. What is the cost of that? Um, and then for you, those of you that are church leaders looking at the cost of becoming a disciple making church, what are some of the pains and headaches, frustrations? What are some of the costs the, the prices you should be willing to pay. So we're going to look at it from those three angles. When I thought about, uh, say, Bonhoeffer's quotes, his book titled Cost of Discipleship, when I've thought about that over the years, I've often thought, well, we could be negative and we could talk about all the scars you're going to get, all the, the frustrations, the disappointments, the failures. We could be positive in looking at the cost of disciple-making and say, well, uh, you're going to have to surrender certain things. You're going to have to pay attention to people, right? You're going to have to uh, love people in the details. You're going to have to love them passionately. It's going to cost you some passion. It's going to cost you time, talent, treasure, those kinds of things. Um, but I, I kind of want to give the broad overview of my story and what I see in Scripture as really a prophetic call to be ready to pay the cost because you're going to pay it. Um, I'm from Texas. I haven't lived anywhere other than Texas. I pastored the First Baptist Church in Beaumont, Texas, where the hurricane kind of parked. Uh, we've been in recovery mode for three months now. We had about 80 of our own church homes destroyed and upwards of 100,000 other homes in our area that were underwater. We have mudded out about 180 of them. Craig's church came down and helped with some of that and some of the other, uh, the guy you just heard from. If you, raise your hand if you were here in the previous session. Okay, good, good. 
We got some repeat. Yeah, yesterday we had them raise the hand in the second session. It was 90% had, had not been in the previous session. So um, you don't have to give your, your overview. They already know it. They already been, yeah. They're on top of it. Yeah. This, this is top of the class. This right is top of the class right here. Um, but Glenn and the church he's at, their church came down to Beaumont and helped do some recovery. And uh, so y'all pray for us as we walk through that. We've been claiming these opportunities as part of the cost of discipling, which you're, you're going to see today. There is a sense in which you have to individually join people on the road of suffering in order to join them in their discipling path. The disciples' path is full of, of struggles, full of, of things you've got to work through and, and work in. And, um, and, and as a discipler, you've got you've to be willing to join them on their road of suffering. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. Uh, there were two ranchers uh, discussing the size of their ranches, trying to impress each other. One asked the other, what's the name of your ranch in Texas? And he replied, well, we are the Rock and R, ABC, Flying W, Circle C, Bar U, Staple 4, Box D, Rolling M, Rainbow's End, Silver Spur Ranch. Yeah, the questioner was really impressed and exclaimed, wow, that's sure a name. How many head of cattle do you run on your ranch? He said, well... Not many, very few survived the branding. <laughs> I love that. You know, you and I, uh, even if you're coming from a non-discipling culture, you and I grow in our spiritual journey by being branded by others. Just like uh, Romans 10 says, how can you have faith without hearing? How can you have a hearing without a somebody sent? You owe your spiritual life at some point to a missionary who either came across the pond, came across the ocean to come here with, uh, with the Puritans or somebody who came into your life walking across the street, walking across uh, a church room. There, we have to know a Christian before we can know Christ because it's how God set up His economy. He set it up through needing a witness. Um, you, you had it initiated in you, and some initiations are more difficult than others, like this branding story. Some costs are higher than others. The cost of my own discipling required me to have a change of careers. My cost of my own discipling required me to rethink what it means to be successful. As we might say, reinvent the scorecard. Uh, the cost of my own discipling cost a lot of friction in my relationship with my father. You know, I'm hearing Jesus saying, you know, that there's going to be fighting in the family because of faith, because that's how... It sometimes works, and my dad did not get, I was raised in a loosely Catholic family, and he did not get this passion for Christ and this conversion experience that, that I said, and I had some hurt feeling. I, I'd experienced conversion in Christ in the early 90s, about 25 years ago, and in that process, I asked my father uh, about his journey, and he, he said, you need to take what you're going through with a grain of salt. And he said other hard things, but that cost some you know, friction there. And eventually, about a decade later, somebody led him to Christ and now he's walking with Jesus. But at first it was rough. It's, it's cost a lot to the churches I've been a part of. Uh, First Baptist Church of Beaumont had over 2,000 in small groups in the 1950s and 60s. They were on TV in the 1950s with the father of Paige Patterson. Paige Patterson, his dad T.A. Patterson, uh, the Patterson's are, are big in Southern Baptist world. Paige Patterson's the president of Southwestern Baptist Seminary. 
his father put the church on the map and uh, just, just an incredible work of God. And in the 1970s, they, they made a non-discipling decision. They said, we are not going to embrace uh, desegregation. We're not going to love our African brothers. And God took his hand off the church, rightly so in many ways. And the church went from 2000 to uh, when I got, came on scene, had about 200 people. Uh, I was a church planner near the Dallas area. And they said, we need to replant. And we had 200 people on a budget of 1.7 million. Yeah, sizable budget, little church. And uh, we've quadrupled in size uh, since then through the lost art of disciple making. Now, I say that uh, in one sentence, but that one sentence cost me a lot of hair, (laughs) a lot of graying hairs, um, has cost me uh, at various times all sorts of struggles. Because people in our culture, because it is the lost art, they don't get it. It's a different language. It's a different call. It is not controllable. You know, a conference like this didn't exist 20 years ago because it doesn't fit the church growth scheme of, of control, right? You can't control this. But, but this is the very thing. Yes, you can't program it. It has to be a grassroots thing, but it's the very thing that'll get you unstuck. Let me tell you a fun story. I have a daughter named Trinity. I have three daughters. My middle child is named Trinity. She was born during my PhD work, so I named her after the girl from the Matrix movie. No. I I named her Trinity. That was a popular name in 2006 when she was born. But by the time I get to First Baptist Church in Beaumont, I'd left a very healthy, great church plant to go to this very unhealthy situation and they were desperate enough to hire a 32-year-old. They were desperate enough to, to say we're willing to be changed. They didn't know what that meant. And they still are looking at me going, oh, you meant change. Okay. But at that point, I thought I'd made a huge mistake. I, wasn't, I hadn't considered the cost of what it, would take, what it would be to take a church that wasn't a disciple-making culture, a church of, it was a, a church of come and sit. Right? Come and sit on Sunday school. Come and sit Sunday morning worship. Come and sit Sunday night worship. Come and sit Wednesday night worship. Sit on a committee. Sit. And that was the, the champions, the heroes of the faith did those kinds of things. And um, I, didn't real, I didn't consider the cost and I felt stuck. That first year we were potty training little Trinity and I went over to the deacon's house. Right, You know the deacon. Right, That church at that point was deacon possessed. And, uh, and at that particular, I, I fell in love with this guy eventually, but I was scared, right? I'm a young 32-year-old. I got a little one-year-old and year-and-a-half-year-old girl. I'm trying to potty train, and uh, we go to his house, and he's in his early 70s, and he's, his wife has made this meal that we could never eat. It was incredible, like five meats and 10 different vegetables. It looks like a Thanksgiving Day meal. I'm excited about Thanksgiving coming up. It was, it was exciting to watch that, but here I am, look at my kids are turning their nose up against it. They don't, you know, they're in that, we only eat chicken fingers, you know, chicken nuggets. That's all we eat stage of their life. And I'm like, okay, we're just insulting this guy. He had figurines. His wife had figurines all over the house, hummels and little crystal things. And my kids are grabbing them. I mean, they were, we're, you have to have a childproof room for my kids at this age. They're grabbing, you know, hundred dollar hummels and going, you know. And so I'm stressed. After two hours of that, I'm feeling like I'm feeling as a pastor of a church that is program-driven, uh, big budget. They want a big menu. We had 28 committees on the books, and we didn't have enough people 
in the church to fit the 28 committees. And they, at the, and that was the right. That was the 90s. That was bigger is better, bigger, big menu. Um, that's not how Jesus made disciples, but that's how church growth pushed it. And so I felt stuck. And my, my daughter needed to go potty, right? And so I take her to the vanity bathroom off the side of the kitchen. And there's figurines everywhere in there. Now this little girl, she is 11 now and she weighs 80 pounds. She is tiny. And at that time she was a year, year and a half, weighed like 20 pounds. I mean, she was little. And so I put her on the potty and I'm looking around playing defense, right? Making sure she's not going to break anything. And I, I take my eye off the ball just for a few seconds. And I look down and she's gone. The door's closed. Where did she go? And I looked at, she has fallen in the toilet, and all I see is her head and her feet. She's little. That's all I see. This is what I see. And she says, Daddy, I stuck. Daddy, I stuck. And I said, I know how you feel. <laughs> I didn't want to move to this town. In Texas, we have two armpits. One is Odessa, and the other is Beaumont, right? It's the petroleum places in Texas. And I'm like, man, I'm stuck. I got her out of there. She's fine today. But she always gives me my best stories. So the cost of discipling pales in comparison to what it accomplishes. It's the very thing that got us unstuck. It's got me unstuck. When I go through new levels of stuckness, when you, when you have a PhD, you can make up words. Stuckness, that's my word for the day. And when you go through levels of stuckness, you need another brother or sister in Christ to disciple you out of that addiction, out of that hurt, out of that hang up. Whatever it is, you've got to have somebody come alongside of you. By the way, that's also, uh, not only is it able to get people beyond being stuck, it also is the way that God has designed His kingdom to pr- produce in you what you so desperately want. And it sounds counterintuitive. It, it, it sounds countercultural that if I help somebody else, as an example, if I want to learn to pray, if I help somebody else learn to pray, I actually learn it better myself. I have a, a double degree from Texas A&M University. I thought I knew chemistry because that was my, one of my degrees. And, but when I, I taught high school chemistry for two years, when I taught it, boy, 24, 23 years later, I still know chemistry. I know it well because I taught it. So there's, there's something in that phenomenon of you needing to be a river, not a reservoir, in order to get more of what God has for you. So as you are able to have more of it flow through you, you get more of it, right? Again, it sounds counterintuitive. I can't keep that which I don't give away. That sounds weird to our ears, but that's Christianity. And if you've been sold any other good bill of goods, you've been sold, you've been conned. Christianity, you are meant to be a discipler. You start with your own kids and then you move on from there, but you are meant to be a discipler. So here's what I'd like to do. Let's start off with a A Bible passage. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 12. I think this is prophetic of the church age. This is a prophetic text, and I think it addresses the cost of discipling. Um, This is what it means, in Jesus' own words, to be a follower of His. Have you you read Kyle Eidelman's book, Fan, Not a Fan? All right, this, this, is, this would be a great text. I, I can't remember if that's in this book. This is in that book. But this is fans versus followers and considering the cost of discipling. 
Um, The contrast is from chapter 12 of John, let's say, verse 9. Read verse 9. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there. It's this triumphal entry. This is Palm Sunday. Um, And and they they came. Now, stop. If, If that's all you read, you get excited. They came. In so many churches, that's... That's the metric of success. They came. They, they came and they sat in a pew. They came and they sat in a church. They came and they sat in a home group. But keep reading. Not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. They, they're, they're coming for a show. They, they want to see the miracle. They want to see the flash. Go down to verse 12. Here's this large crowd again. On that next day, the large crowd... Now, these are fans with fans, right? They have palms. <laughs> they actually have fans. They, they came to the feast, Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Uh, they took branches of the palm trees. These are not native to Jerusalem, and they, they don't wave them. We don't have a verse that says that. They're actually going to lay them down. But anyway, they took these palm tree branches, and they went out to meet him, and they began to shout, Hosanna, if you know what that means, that means save us now, come on, show us now. Really what they're yelling uh, with this is, is, is take out Rome, down with Rome. That's really what they're yelling. This is, they want a political rescuer. So save us from Rome. Blessed is he, quoting Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So please save us now, be a king. Now, now skip on down. To uh, verse 17. So these people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. They were talking. Sounds good. But for this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that they are, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. These Pharisees, these crowds are impressed with the fans. But Jesus is not. And in John, he juxtaposes that little section we just read with the next few verses. And this is the cost of discipling. Verse 20. It's a major theme in John, the cost of being a follower. But now there were some Greeks, right? So another major theme in John is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now there were some Greeks, among those who were going up to worship at the feast. So these are God-fearers. These then came to Philip, right? Philip is a Greek name. I think that's part of the purpose. So these Greeks are with Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Notice the contrast. What did the Jews and the Pharisees want? They wanted a sign. These Greeks, they don't need a sign. They just want Jesus. So this is chapter 6 of John, if you know the book of John again. There's crowds, there's going to be a hard saying coming. In chapter 6 of John, he said, you must hate your mother and father in contrast to how much you love me. There better not be a close you know, allegiance there. It ought to be all me in comparison to your previous allegiances. You must uh, drink my blood. He said that in John 6. You must you know, eat my flesh. Right, so he's... He's, he's got a crowd, and every time there's a large crowd, he, he will say something hard. So we're about to see something that he says hard. Verse 22, he goes up the chain. Philip came to Andrew. Right, Andrew's the one who's often bringing people to Jesus. So Philip knew uh, Andrew was a disciple maker. 
And he goes, he said, well, hey, you got all these Greeks. Can, can they see Jesus? And we, we, we've already seen this in the previous chapter where Jesus says, I have other sheep outside of the Jews. So this shepherd is gathering other sheep. Jesus loves this. Jesus, verse 23, answered them saying, the hour has come. Now the Son of Man is to be glorified. He's, in other words, lifted up on the cross. You see that? Skip on down to verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Kind of a double assurance that Jesus' death on the cross is what makes him look good. His suffering, his sacrificing is the glory. Right? So, so I seek, you are to seek God's glory. And it led Jesus through a cross to a crown. So that should be an ultimate goal is that there is going to be a price and there is going to be a cost. And so he says, go back to verse 23, the hour has come for me to be, to be crucified. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. And if it dies, it bears much fruit. So you're here at a disciple making conference wanting to bear much fruit. Jesus has just said you cannot follow without sacrifice. It's going to cost you. Now, this language of of glorification is only used of the, the magnification of God, the deification of God. Right? Jesus uses an illustration here, and he's going to apply it later to you as a follower. He says, this is what it means to follow me. You're like a seed planted in the ground. He used the image of a seed in other places. There's, there's no fruitful life without death. Right? Of itself, a seed is a weak and useless thing, but when it's planted, it, 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 it dies and becomes fruitful. There is both beauty in that and there is bounty in that and disciple making will cost you you right so that's what it is is it is it cheap or is it costly that's the question God's children are seeds and we are small and insignificant but we have life in us and when we're planted alongside of the soil of Christ's character and we sprout fruit for the kingdom this is disciple making we must die to self and live unto God Right? So, so again, note the contrast, loneliness and fruitfulness here in this verse, losing life, keeping your life. Uh, you're going to see serving your own life or serving Christ. But let's read the next verse. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world, notice in this world, will keep it unto eternal life. So the next world, uh, belief in this side of the world and this side of heaven is persecuted and it seems like evil reigns, right? But Jesus is saying his people are going to have to, and here's the heart saying, you're going to have to hate your own goals for your life because they're too small for what's coming. So this is, you can't follow without surrender. This is something we say to our church often is Christ calls you to do nothing less than put everything on the table. He calls you to do nothing less than to write him a blank check. So when you talk about the cost of discipling as a discipler or a disciplee, it, it, the cost is you. You are the currency that God wants you to pay. So you can't follow without surrender. Matthew calls this the mystery of the church age. A time of pain and persecution. People are going to have to come and die. That makes a great bumper sticker for your church. Come and die. Uh, Charles Ryrie says the most important sanctification verse in all of your Bible is Romans 8.13. Do you know what that says? It says you must slaughter the deeds of your body. 
What a strong word. It's the strongest word Paul could have chosen for the Christian life. Slaughtering Martin Luther, 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. He loved the phrase mortification. You've got to mortify. You gotta, that's the kind of surrender. <clears throat> this is a violent surrender. This isn't warm, fuzzy Christianity. This isn't comfortable Christianity. This is conformable Christianity. Conformable to what? Romans 12.2, not conformed to this world. Right? Romans 8.29, God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. <clears throat> That's what's pushed forth. Uh, Tyradius, an old Greek poet who lived before the time of Christ, wrote, The man who risks his life in battle has the best chance of saving it, and the one who flees to save it is most likely to lose it. So what's the cost? Surrender. <clears throat> Look at verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. What's the cost? The cost you can't follow without serving. We witness to the God we serve. The watching world can't see what we believe until they see what we do. So you're not to be a consumer, you're to be a contributor. It's not about the duration of your life, it's about the donation of your life. That's the question. I told a disciple just this last week that you can't be number one until you've been the best number two guy. You've got to learn to serve. I told, I've told young pastors that for years. The litmus test of Christ-likeness is other-centeredness. That's the litmus test. Save to serve, shape to serve, put on a team to serve. You are a servant. And if you don't follow this path of sacrifice, surrender, you're not going to get to serving. So what's the last one? Look at verse, the rest of verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. That's what it means. And where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He defines service how John has defined it in the past and how he will find, define it in the future. He's quoting Jesus. Jesus has said these things. John has repeated them. It's the Greek word meno, M-E-N-O. It's the word abide. You must stay put. You can't follow without staying. This, this is the problem of the American church is we are we're spiritual gypsies. We hop around churches. We hop around small groups. We hop around relationships. It sounds like to me like I have two junior hires. Junior hires can start new boyfriend-girlfriend relationships three times a day. It's easy, it's easy to start new relationships. What is following Jesus is staying put with people and owning them. Of course, this is truth and grace. I heard that yesterday from the forum. Grace is, I'm going to love you no matter what. And truth is, I'm going to speak truth to you no matter what. I'm going to be there with you no matter what. So it's... it's <laughs> Uh, let, me, let me give an example. Um, I have looked three times at my, my iPhone. Where's my iPhone? There it is. I've looked three times at my iPhone 7 Plus um, because I am looking at the Apple Store because I've ordered my iPhone 10. I'm, I'm a gadget freak. I love technology. And I have a great story that goes with staying put because I didn't stay put when the first Plus came out. I, I carry an iPad around all the time uh, before the iPhone Plus. Now I just carry, it's like a small iPad. And when the iPhone 6 Plus came out, I went and stood in line. Now, that's not the first time I've stood in line for a Mac product, but I got there at about 5 o'clock in the morning, and I was number 18 or 17 in line. Do what? It, yeah, I was going to share my, I did share my faith. As an afterthought, though. Sorry. 
but I was, I was in line, and there's a fun story about the line. There was a lady, negative Nellie, in front of me. I'm not going to get one. I'm, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm waiting three hours in line. I'm not going to get one. I'm like, then go, leave. I'll, be, I'll take your place. But <clears throat> at 8 o'clock, the, the Apple, AT&T store opens up, and a guy in an AT&T shirt looked just like Craig. Seriously, he looked just like you. I even thought of that. He looked good-looking fella and humble. Good-looking and humble. And he comes out and he says, I have, a, I have an announcement to make. Um, we got in all of our pre-order iPhones, but we do not have any iPhones to sell today. If you get down to the next county over, you might be able to find an iPhone. Now, I'd only been waiting in line two and a half, three hours. Some of those people spent the night. And you could hear this groan, right? And I said, I was a little ticked. So I, I'm, plus, I hadn't had enough coffee. So I'm like, I'm out of there. I'm going to go get me some coffee. And I'd start driving away. Now, what you don't know about me is I'm also, Lamar University is the big university, and I'm the chaplain of Lamar University football. And there was a football player in the line. I didn't rec- I, he was behind me. I didn't know that. So I'm driving off. Ten minutes later, I'm, I'm almost home, and I get a phone call from that football player. And he says, hey, Dr. Moody, you need to come back. And that manager just came out and said that that guy that spoke and said there were no iPhones was a disgruntled employee. And they had fired him the day before. Yeah. And so I turn around and he, the manager let me back in line. I didn't stay. And I almost missed that opportunity. Small, small cost, right, of not staying there. But if you don't stay with people, right, if you don't stay with people, you miss the blessing. So it's the cost of staying put. The cost of staying put. So let's get um, a little more practical. All right. So I gave you some broad biblical movements there. Great text. Oops. As I break my iPad. Yeah, got to get a new one. Um, let's let's get practical. All right. So what are we really talking about? We're talking about something that churches hate and something that you hate. We're talking about change. It's the cost of change. Whether the disciple or the discipler, it is, it is changed from the outside of you to the inside. Or better yet, sanctification is from the inside out. But again, inside out transformation has to have somebody else that comes alongside of you. And so this change is going to be a problem in your life. Because your flesh is your enemy. Jesus, John said in the epistles, you have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And your, your flesh is one of your enemies and you wear it around. You don't want to change the people you our discipling don't want to change. The church that is programmatic, it doesn't want to change. So you're going to have to have a paradigm shift um, from disciple as a noun to disciple as a verb. Um, I, I, it's amazing. I'm talking about Apple products. If you go to your iPhone and, and you go to uh, your Microsoft, we'll go Microsoft. If you go to Microsoft Word and you type in disciple and use it in a sentence as a verb, our modern English the so, our modern English grammar checks will, will say that's, a, that's the wrong way to use it. It's like Microsoft Word can't even fathom disciple as a verb. It's, it's, it's gone out of the English language for you to disciple somebody. Uh, something I ask of a lot of people when I meet them, who are you discipling? And they're like, they start squirming because it's uncomfortable if you're not. But that's what God has asked you to do. It's a paradigm shift. Bonhoeffer, mentioned him earlier, world's foremost theologian of the 20th century in many ways, served German churches during World War II, led to the confessing church and that stood on scripture, surrounded by great suffering. He understood this joining people on the road to suffering. 
Here's some quotes from the book, The Cost of Discipleship. To endure the cross is not tragedy. It is the suffering which is the fruit of an exclusive allegiance. Isn't that good? Here's some, another one. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So what's the cost? Your life. Your life and all that it is dreams. Your dreams are too small. And God says, come and die. Take up your cross. And you can't just do it once. How does he say it? Take up your cross, Luke 9, daily and follow me. Here's how Bonhoeffer said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Uh, The church, the designer church, the designer Christ, designer religion is always cheap because we, we don't invent a religion that hurts us. We invent a religion that lifts us up. In Christian cults, most of those cults are, are self-deification. They lower, they diminish Jesus, and they deify self. They lift you up. It's one of the arguments of the infallibility of this book. Man would not have written this book, right? Man could not have written this book because we don't, we don't come up with things that are as costly as this. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. You know, when I became a follower of Jesus in 1992, it was through the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. And within three days, a guy named Todd started discipling me. And he used that phrase. He said, I want to disciple you in a discipling group and you and four other guys. And uh, man, my language was rough. My life was rough. I was loose in morals. And he trained me to be a spiritual trainer. And uh, I was in Denton, Texas at the time. I spent a year in college at University of North Texas. And he, he and a bunch of those disciplers there on the campus led me to Denton Bible Church, where there is a phenomenal teacher of the Bible by the name of Tommy Nelson. You might have heard of him. And uh, Tommy Nelson taught Scripture like I'd never seen it, like it was living and active and breathing and the words of God. But church life, that church service, that wasn't church to me. It wasn't church to any of us. That was a worship service, right? Where all week the living Christ, the resurrected Christ was working through us as we decreased and he increased. He was training us. Jesus was working in our lives. The life of Christ was flowing through our lives. And then we got to worship on Sunday morning, the risen Christ, hear from a master Bible teacher and repeat. So church was that. Discipling disciples to disciple, repeat. Discipling disciples to disciple, repeat. Worship on Sunday, that's not church. And then I got involved in ministry at another church and it wasn't that way. And then this third church, it wasn't that way. And then at that point, I felt God saying, just plant, just start a church from the beginning with, with this, with scripture as the basis of it. And so oftentimes this is what you get, cheap grace, cheap church, cheap discipling. It's not discipling. It's just, it's uh, for fans, not followers. Jesus's earthly ministry also pushed this envelope and you heard Uh, The passage I talked about, Craig says in one of his writings that no matter how dark the world becomes, nothing can put out the light of the gospel. Nothing. He, Luke 9, he gathered his disciples around. I quoted this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross, follow him. The cross is not a decoration on your neck. It's a, it's an execution device, right? It'd be like you wearing an electric chair around your neck. 
a a syringe needle that says strychnine or something, whatever they use in injecting people at places of execution. It is an instrument of suffering and death. And he says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, said his face could be translated determined, resolute. The son of man was determined to suffer, to be to go through this. The nails didn't hold him to the cross. His own choice kept him. He stayed put so that you could have what you have. What's his vision, though? His vision was multiplying disciples. His vision for his suffering was 12 disciples multiplied to 72 and then deployed to go preach, perform miracles in his name. Look at Luke 10 on the screen. And this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. 72 then returned with joy. Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. The movement reached four generations. Jesus, the disciples, the 72 new believers, that vision became a reality. So here's what I'd like you to do. If you don't mind, for the, since this is the, almost the last session, one more session out of this. <clears throat> I want you to break into groups of like three or four. And I want you to think about, in your context, just confess what you've been feeling the last two days of what this is going to cost. Like what's on your heart? I know when I first came to a discipling process and seeing this as, as uh, what God was asking me to be, do as a pastor, much less a, a person, um, I, there were some costs. Um, there were, there were, it's going to cost me time. It's going to cost me energy. It's going to cost me some friction. I'm going to have to give up things that are me being busy, right? God, God doesn't want you to be busy. He wants you to be fruitful. And so what are you going to have to give up? Busyness. That's, go, that's something. All right, so get together and just, just confess a little bit. Ten minutes, right? Just ten minutes. Talk to, talk to each other. Kind of process what you've heard from Craig and Glenn and what this first 40 minutes or so, 30 minutes or so, what you've heard from me. What do you think it's going to cost you in your context? All right, let's do that. Spend some time con- confessing the cost. <clears throat> All right, if I can have everybody's attention back. Uh, we got about 25 more minutes. I can tell your conversations are rich and you could probably spend the rest of the 25 uh, with this, with a little bit of feedback there. Um, every group, give me one or two of your high, high points and, and just a phrase. You don't have to explain it. Uh, for instance, our group said it, it's going to cost vulnerability. That is so hard and it's going to cost time. What did y'all come up with? What are, what are, what it's going to cost? Just one, one or two words, a phrase. Career. Career. All right. What about y'all in the back? Attendance. Say it again. Attendance. Attendance. All right. In church. In church. Okay. That's the trajectory of the spiritual life from the comfort zone to the unknown zone to get to the end zone. You can't get there except through the unknown zone. You got to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. But what's so crazy about it? is it's the reciprocating tool that helps you grow. You can't grow without it. You can't grow till you are there. That's huge. What about y'all? Yeah. Oof, yes. Unsurrendered pride. Yep. Because accountability, to stomach accountability, you've got to have, got to surrender your pride. So if, he, if in case you didn't hear what he said, he said that in, a, in China and some of the other persecuted areas where it's closed, to the free church, oftentimes it costs a lot. 
But in missiology, if you've ever taken a class or a, a study in missions, that's what waters the church, right? Not just the blood of the martyrs, but the blood of suffering waters the church because it's what disciple making is about. I drew this over here to, to, to draw one more thing at this stage in our talk here today is that if you're here, Jesus said in John, Luke 21, 24, that we are in the time of the Gentiles. He got that quote from Daniel. Daniel, the whole book of Daniel is prophetic. And the typical prophetic time of the Gentiles isn't just Daniel 2, 7, and 9, these great prophecy chapters, but the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the way, don't call them that. That's their Babylonian names. It's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Right? These Jewish young men who are thrown into the fiery furnace. Thousands should have been thrown into the fiery furnace. But there were only a small number. It's remnant theology, but that is typical prophetic of this time of the Gentiles. Daniel in the lion's den. He didn't take any efforts to hide his spiritual life. You close the window, Daniel. Go into the closet and, do, you know, you hear Jesus saying, do it in private. In the time of the Gentiles, be you against whatever persecution the government might throw at you. Be smart. He didn't go to the, to the palace of Babylon and do it. He did it in his own house. I've been in house churches across China. We don't, we don't go to the Tiananmen Square and have a worship service. So we're smart about it, but we're also who we are, period. And we don't lie or, you know, you just be you, be authentically you. But the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar is a story of conversion through crushing. Here is Nebuchadnezzar. He has his kingdom taken away from him. He goes through a time of humiliation. And Daniel wins him to a relationship with God by joining him in his suffering. I've discipled a guy named Jay. His son has a mass, a really bad spine disease. He's in a wheelchair and he's nine years old. And he's getting a new drug called Spinraza. It is $125,000 a shot. And he's had six of these this year. I've been to the hospital with him a number of times. I texted him before that. I'm joining Jay in his suffering. I'm praying for him. I, 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 I reach to his, I get on my knees in front of his son every time I see him in his wheelchair. And I give him time and attention. And as I love his son, I love Jay. I am joining Jay on the road of his suffering. Brian, one of the other guys that I'm discipling, when I started discipling him, his wife was pregnant. She gave birth to this baby. His name was Josiah, named after Josiah in the Bible, the young king. Josiah lives 11 weeks, never goes home, 11 weeks in the hospital and dies. My discipling of Jay and Brian is coming alongside of them in their suffering. <clears throat> you probably have a bunch of stories of you disciple somebody, they go through a hard time. It's, it's the curriculum of life. What's your cost? Your cost is you better join them in the suffering. You better hurt with them, cry with them. So here's what I'd like to do. Just a few more slides to, to kind of brainstorm some of my thoughts uh, about cost. First, <clears throat> the cost of the disciplee. <clears throat> what is it going to cost you if you're not a discipler and you want to be? Well, you first got to be a disciplee before you can be a discipler. You got to be discipled to disciple. And what does it cost you to get some spiritual grooves? Um, can you survive the branding of the cattle ranch, right? Yes. Uh, one, it requires you to lose the illusion of autonomy. <clears throat> In the American church, independence rules. 
But in the Christian church, interdependence rules. And if you can't get to that place where you say, I gotta have a discipler, you're not gonna be able to be that for somebody else. Amen? So autonomy is that you think you don't need somebody to grow. I'm telling you, you can't grow without somebody else. I've walked with Jesus for 25 years and I can't name a sermon that somebody preached at me that helped me grow in comparison to a Todd or a Charlie or a Russ who discipled me. Those are the guys that gave me spiritual grooves and marked my life. Iron sharpens iron. Second, you're going to have to sacrifice in that light. You're going to have to sacrifice self-sufficiency and complacency. You can't be complacent. You can't ever say, you can't ever hang a, a sign on your heart that says finished. You've got to hang signs on your heart all the time that says God at work. Be patient with me. And there has to be a sacrifice of complacency. Um, <clears throat> number three, you've got to be marked through modeling. <clears throat> I, when I first got married, uh, we were told by our premarital counselor to find other couples who you, you were admiring, heroes, couples, and, and, and just go spend time with them and watch what they do. And when you're driving home from the double date, talk about what you saw. That was a pastor in the Dallas area told me that. And we did it. We did it about eight or nine times. And in that eight or nine times, our marriage grew like crazy. Um, I I was discipled for about a year and a half as a new believer by by Todd. And Todd, at the end of that, kicked me out of the nest. And he said, what you saw me doing, go do it. It's modeling is going to be the cost. You've got to watch and you've got to repeat. The way they do it, you do it. And then lastly, this is kind of the negative side of all this, you've got to stomach accountability. As a disciple Lee, you've got to let someone get in your business, right? You've got to let them get in your business. Um, whether it's uh, hearts of criticism and gossip for the ladies and low self-esteem and worry, you know, you've got to let them get into the places, ladies, of your hand-wringing. Guys, you've got to get, let that discipler get into the place of your lust and your pride. Those are the two big ones. And every one of you, it's 100%, right? 100% ratio men who struggle with those things. Pride and lust. And you gotta, you got to let them ask you if you're looking at porn. Let them ask you if you're looking at lingering with your looks. you got to let them ask you if your pride's turning into anger. you got to let them ask you about your marriage. And are you being the man of romance that your wife requires if you're married? Stomach accountability. You know, our culture has zero stomach for accountability. Zero stomach. So let, let me give you an image while he's trying to get the image on the screen there. Uh, we have a small little ranch in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, th- three, two months ago, it was under a two and a half feet of water. Our house is about three foot above that, so I had about a, a foot of more space before my house flooded. My house did not flood, but all 13 acres had two, two and a half feet of water around it. Um, as it went down, uh, we, we were pr- really excited to see that all the sand that we brought in for our horse riding arena didn't leave. My wife and I, we, we have three daughters and we all show horses. And I've, I've, I did some rodeo in college and just always been around horses. We love training. I'm a trainer at heart. I train animals, kids, adults. I just love teaching and training. And so the animals, that's, that's a real good pastime for me. So we had 120 loads of sand brought in. 
Yeah, a lot of sand for this big sandbox. We built a fence around it for the last two months. Kind of my, my I, I don't go to a gym, I, I call it farm fit. I, I, I dig post holes for exercise. My shoulders are still hurting because of, of the, we, we've dug 80 post holes. Now, on a couple of those, we had to bolt some things to these posts. And these are lag bolts that were like 12 inches long, this huge lag bolt. And I had, I had this, uh, this, you know, ratchet wrench that I was using to screw these in. And I went and found, because we're doing a pipe fence, I went and found some pieces of pipe that were laying around and I created what's called a cheater pipe, right? What do you do with that? You slide it on the handle of the ratchet and then it gives you more leverage, right? Oh man, so much easier. Discipling and being discipled is the cheater pipe of the Christian life. That very thing that you've wanted to get over for so long, that, that, that darkness in your heart, that frustration, that anxiety, that fear that you have that has brought you to a place of, 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 of tears or frustration or fatigue or failure, whatever it is, that cheater pipe of discipling is how you get beyond it. So let me say it this way. The Bible's answer to repeated sin, right, repetitious sin, is accountability. That's the Bible's answer. You need someone to get in your business, and it's going to cost you accountability. All right, what about the discipler? So many of you are there. This is where you came. You, you've been discipled, and you're wanting to disciple. You maybe are three a generation or two into it, and you want to do it better. What is the cost of spiritual parenting? Well, I'll tell you what it's cost me over the years. I've had to lose an illusion of economy. Economy is a big word that doesn't just mean money. It means uh, how things work, period. Economics is the study of how things work. And I think I understand how things work. And the great commission isn't the great suggestion. It is how God's kingdom works. It is the, see, here, here's what we've done. We've lifted up the gospel, the message of Jesus. But what we're encouraging you is to lift up the method of Jesus. If you are a pastor and you're stuck in a program rut, and you need to get out of that stuckness, right? Discipling is the cheater pipe to get you out of that. It's his economy. Jesus had a large enough vision to think small. And he spent 90% of his time with 12 Jews to reach people from America, China, and everywhere in between. And the gospel has gone to the nations, come to Beaumont, Texas. We have a little town called Fred, Texas. It's gone to Fred, Texas because Jesus poured into 12 Jews. What can God do in your life through the ministry of multiplication? You got to lose the illusion of how you think it works. See, I, uh, I say that the mark and the muscle of, of discipling is five things. Pray, 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 disciple. If you disciple and you're, and you're a disciple maker, you know you don't change lives. That's the Spirit's job. And so your disciples, you're on your knees for them. You're praying for them. Yes, what is it going to cost you? It's going to cost you prayer. <laughs> because you can't do it. When we hire new staff, I tell them uh, your, your job as a pastor is to change lives. And if they're worth their salt, they look at me with confusion. Wait, I can't do that. Yes, you can. So you better get to praying. And I don't have a quota. I just go change lives. And it should bring you to your knees because it's not doable. You don't disciple. 
The Spirit of God disciples through you. You've got to be that piece of conduit, that pipe that he flows through. And so you've got to get out of the way. You've got to be connected. You've got to stay put. You've got to sacrifice. You've got to surrender. You've got to join people in their suffering. But you've got to do it through being a conduit of the Spirit. So it's going to require you to sacrifice silence and sacrifice your coasting. You can't put cruise control on in discipling. You can't put the cruise control on. Um, Glenn, in the last session, said uh, he was uh, having, in his discipling relationships, he deals with things quick. As they come, he deals with them. He doesn't wait. He's not coasting. It's intentional. you got to pay attention. Love pays attention. You join people in their suffering. You don't coast. You go to them. It's aggressive. But it's doable. We're not asking you to lead 365 people a year to Jesus in an evangelistic effort of of your life every day, that, that'd be great, but that's not, in many ways, not reasonable. We're asking you, Jesus is asking you to disciple a couple of men, a couple of women a year, and pour your life into them. So it's not doable, but it is doable in that sense. You can focus, and it requires you to speak up and, and pour in. Uh, third, you've got to invest intentionally. The gospel came to us because... Someone received it, ran the race, and handed the baton to you. And you've got to grab that baton that was handed to you and run it to the next person. And you've got to do that very intentionally. I don't know, I ran track. And in running track, man, we practiced for hours the handoff in the relay. Why? Because most relays are lost there. You know, most relays are lost because of the speed of the runners, but secondly, it's the handoff, the drop of the, of the baton. And so what do we do? What, that's what Craig talked about yesterday. You're practicing the competencies of handing the baton. How do you hand the baton of walking with God? How do you hand the baton of reaching your world? How do you hand, hand the baton to the next person of, what's the third one? Investing, Investing in a few. How do you hand the baton? Robert Coleman, in his Master Plan of Evangelism book that we honored yesterday, he said, the test of any Christian is the life, is the multiplication of that life in others. So are you a spiritual consumer or a spiritual investor? Spiritual consumers, they take in religious goods and services. They get on the treadmill of religion and they put some sweat equity in and that's all they do. They're thankful for what Jesus has done, but they're always looking for someone else to feed you, inspire you, challenge you, help you. And these are the sweatshops of religion, and this is not Christianity. The spiritual investor walks with God on your own, mature, established, investing in the life of other people, showing them how to do the same. And it becomes very reciprocal. My spiritual life and growth is dependent on me discipling somebody else. And I can't get, if godliness is a scale of 1 to 10, I can't get above a 2 without being a spiritual investor. And you wonder why we have churches that are a mile wide and an inch thick. It's because we just produce spiritual consumers. But if I'm going to get to a 2, a 3, a 4, a 5, or 6, I have to invest in you as someone is investing in me. And third, you, or fourth, you have to deal with disappointments. <clears throat> um, I had someone bow out on me last year. And boy, did they drop me. They dropped me, a guy named Hank. Uh, so promising. I, I, and I'm skilled. I've discipled many people. 
but I still had a hard last year dealing with the disappointment that Hank brought into my life because he, he dropped me. I was discipling him. He, he stopped returning my phone calls and then went AWOL. I finally, after about six weeks, got a hold of him and it was just, it was sad. And then I hurt, felt like a failure. But this is God's kingdom and these are God's people and this is God's plan. And just think of when you go through disappointment, here's what I think. When my disciples let me down or they fail, I get about a, a third and 33% of, of a return on my investment. If I disciple three guys without fail, one of them is going is to is reproduce. I wish it were higher. Uh, those of you that are disciplers, I, I, I bet your percentage is about the same. So that's batting 300, pretty good in baseball, pretty good in discipling. And so you just have to deal with it. You just have to deal with it. Yes. That's right. Amen. Amen. Well said. So deal with disappointments. All right. Um, five more minutes. The discipling church. If you're here sent by your church to figure out the right program of discipling, you're, you're not hearing a program. Um, if, you, if you went over to the Lifeway booth and you're looking for the box, you know, for the 40 days of discipling campaign, you're not going to find it. It's not going to cost you $99.99 at Lifeway. All right. The discipling church, what is the cost of simple church? This is what we're pushing. I mean, Rainer made a joke about it last night, but this is simple church. This is disciple, disciples to disciple. There's the, it's not the Great Commission. It's just the commission. It's what we do. It's not committees and choirs and handbells and, and you know, how, registrating, registering kids at the, at the front of the nursery. Those are all good, but the great, the thing we're to do is to disciple, and it's going to cost you to be simple. So you're going to have to give up the menu. You're going to have to put it all on the table. I said that a trillion times that first year at our church. Ten years ago, I said that a trillion times. All of it's on the table. All the sacred cows are on the table. And they really all, yes, all of them. Let's put them all, let's write a blank check. That's what Jesus requires. So number one, you got to lose the illusion of theonomy. Theonomy is a fancy way to say that you understand how God's kingdom works. It's economy taken to the next level. Lose the illusion that you can control God's kingdom. You cannot control God's kingdom. There is no church growth scheme outside of discipling. Right? What did Jesus say in Mark or Matthew 16? I, I build my church and against it the gates of hell will not overcome. Jesus builds his church. You don't. You, you don't build your church. If the church will become less about the church, if a church pastor will think less about the church and more about Christ, then things will be successful. The more you think about church stuff, the more frustrated you'll get because that's not the theonomy. That's not how it works. Number two, sacrifice scorecards and complexity. That's self-explanatory. A home run for us is when the disciplee becomes the discipler. That's the home run. Right? Where's evangelism in that? Well, it's inherent in discipling. You take a non-disciple and you disciple them to disciple. That's evangelism and discipleship all in this category of discipling. And the scorecard is who disciples who. Number three, have a big enough vision to think small. you got to think small. <clears throat> now, I will say, in addition to that, you might write off also think exponentially. Because if, you, if you're at a church and you're wanting to be a church that disciples, 
and to be a disciple-making church, I'm going to tell you it's going to take at least three to four years to see the culture start shifting and to see the fruit that the deacons will be proud of. Right? It was, it was about year three or four at First Baptist Beaumont that wives started coming to me saying, hey, I don't know what you're doing with our husbands, but we want to be discipled. And so we had to really shape a whole movement among our ladies. There was already there, but we had to shape it differently because they were hungry. And then everybody started getting it there because the exponential fruit of tenfold, twelvefold, that started in the third and fourth year. So it has to be a grassroots thing. And then lastly, exchange metrics for stories. The discipling church, it costs you, we, we, the church I am at now, 10 years ago, we had the war board. Craig, you probably had that at Colleyville. The war board, it was this size, and it had all the stats of the annual church profile that Lifeway wants. And nothing up there said discipling. No discipling disciples to disciple. It was all stuff that are the numbers that people are proud of. How many did you baptize? How many did you sit in pews in your church? <clears throat> flip that over and now 10 years later we have a brand new campus we, we've left downtown we sold the old church building but that felt like in many ways we sold the old church model <laughs> and uh, it's 150,000 square feet of space it's paid, got paid $750,000 for it and I did the happy dance and we moved to a brand new campus we downsized massively. We went from 150,000 square feet to 30,000 square feet. And no one's complained about the size of that new building because it's, it's a Swiss army knife. It's multi-reuse. It's multi-purpose. And it works. But those, we got rid of the war board and we start every staff meeting. We have two-hour staff meetings. We spend half of that staff meeting every time telling stories and praying over those stories. Who's discipling who? What are the stories? And let's pray for them. So our staff meetings are about people and about stories. You cannot put the metrics of the disciple-making church on a, on a war board. You have to paint a picture. You can put it on a video, but you can't put it on a war board. Not nearly that way. Um, so little Cajun lady called the police with the complaint that a man next door was in, indecently exposing himself. The cops arrive. Uh, she brings them into her bathroom and said, would you look at that? A man indecently exposed himself. The officer looked out the window, saw a man next door in his bathroom shaving. But all he could see was his head and his neck and his shoulders. He said, ma'am, I can't arrest him. All I see is his head, his neck and his shoulders. She said, oh, no, no, stand up on this box and you'll have a much better view. <laughs> Many times we just can't see what Jesus is trying to show you. And I would say it's not a box. It's a lower shelf. What this is requiring you, of you, is to lower yourself. The greatest things of Christianity are not on the theological tippy-toes of atonement theories and how do you, you know, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, Calvinism, harmony. The greater things of Christianity are on the lower shelves. So what's the cost? You've got to lower yourself. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that these men and women in this room would decrease so that you can increase in their places of ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to download your copy of the free ebook by Disciple First called Invest in a Few. You can get it at discipleship.org slash disciple first. 
You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources there as well at discipleship.org. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.